You guys, man, we are in this series in, in Malachi, and I'm excited about that. We're going to continue through that. It's the last book in the Old Testament. I want to start with a question. Have you ever been told something from someone that you cared about, that you were close to, and then they ended up violating that thing that they told you? They didn't keep their word. They broke their promise. Maybe you shared something with them that was really significant or meaningful, and they said they would keep that confidential, and yet they ended up you know, sharing that with somebody else. Or maybe they said they would be somewhere for you or care for you in a certain way, and then they didn't follow through and actually live that out. Um, if you've been in that situation at all where somebody's you know, words didn't end up matching their actions, they broke their promise or their word, then you know that that's a terrible feeling. And the closer that person is to you, the more significant the feeling, right? So if that happens in your marital relationship, that's really painful. If that happens from a mom or a dad saying that to a child, that's incredibly uh, difficult for them. Because when we don't keep our word, it does things that are really negative in our relationships. I mean, it, it erodes trust. It, it rips away at... Uh, and this ability for us to continue to form deep, meaningful connections. It also does stuff inside us when we don't keep our word. I mean, it lowers our own self-esteem. It makes it harder for us to feel good about you know, how integrous we are in our life and in our walk. Keeping our word is really important. Jesus knew that feeling well. He knew what it felt like to have people that he cared about and trusted uh, fall short in terms of keeping their word. At one of the most significant moments in his life, Jesus was going to go, and uh, he, he knew he was going to have to pray and be by himself because it was his last night before he was going to be captured. And he asked three of his closest friends, he said, hey, I know you can't go all the way with me. Go part of the way with me. Stop, and if you will pray for me, it will mean the world. And they said, absolutely. That's the least we could do. We'd love to go all the way with you, but we'll, we'll stop and pray. Well, Jesus went away, and by the time he got back, those guys had broken their word, and they had all fallen asleep on him. And I want you to understand that what was going on with him was, man, that was the most alone he had ever felt in his life, and he asked three people to join him just to kind of take some of that aloneness away, and they abandoned him even more. And then, man, around the similar time, he had a really close friend, and he said, hey, I know what's about to happen. I can see into the future. You're going to deny me three times. And his friend said, there is no way I would do that. I will not deny you. I'm going to stand up for you and be beside you no matter what. And within 24 hours, that man Peter had denied him three times. Jesus knows what it feels like to have people break their word or break their promises toward him. And we know what that feels like too. We all do because we're human and we're down here in this crazy world and it happens to all of us. And the reality is we do it to other people as well. I do it to the people that mean the most to me, my wife and my kids. I do it to Jesus. I tell him all the time stuff I'm going to go out there and do for him, and then I'll fall short of it. And that's just how we live our lives. We break our promises, but God is a promise keeper. And that's what we're going to study today is the fact that God, his father's heart, is to keep his promises toward us. It's, it's why we're drawn to stories like in the Old Testament, this story between Ruth um, and, and Naomi. So if, if you remember the, the scenario, what was happening was this family kind of moved to this land, and uh, it was a mom and a dad, and they had two sons, and both sons married. And so there's a little family unit there, a lot of support, a lot of encouragement, opportunity for that. And then all the men, the men die. And so we're left with a mother-in-law and two daughters-in-law. And at that point, one of the daughter-in-laws says, I'm headed back to my homeland where my family is from. And the mother-in-law 
Naomi, she says, yes, that's a good idea. And the other daughter-in-law doesn't know what to do. And so she says to her, this is Ruth chapter one, like verse 15 in the next couple of verses. She says to her, you know, look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. That's, I don't, that story does something for me. That kind of loyalty and faithfulness. And the beauty of that story is Ruth kept her word. She went back with Naomi to her land. She continued to serve her God, the God of Israel, the God that we follow. She actually ended up taking care of her mother-in-law on into later life. That kind of faithfulness and keeping your word, that's, the, that's what God does for us. That's what we want to do in our most important and significant relationships. We want to be those kind of people pursuing a God who is that kind of God. The entire story of the Bible is the story of us as a people breaking our promises to God and him remaining faithful to keep his promises. We just sang that a couple of songs ago. We say, and we'll sing it again at the end, another song about keeping God, keeping his promises. So to follow through and kind of get back into the word, Malachi chapter two, Jose told you this book was written 430 years before Christ, it was a time in Israel's history where the culture around them was, had fallen all apart and had turned to crazy things going on. And in Israel, God's people and the Israelites, man, they had just followed right along as well. They had abandoned God. And so God is trying to get their attention through the prophet Malachi. And in this, we can learn a lot about God's heart toward us and what it would look like to keep our promises so that we're a people that are chasing after him. Now, Old Testament, stick with me. We're going to do some reading. We're going to go Malachi chapter 2, verse 1. We're just going to, we're going to blaze through. So here we go. Story time. And now, you priests, this warning is for you. If you do not listen, and if you do not resolve to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse on you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them, because you have not resolved to honor me. All right, we're about to read the next verse. Insert graphic illustration metaphor. Verse three, because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices, and you will be carried off with it. And you will know that I have sent you this warning so that my covenant with Levi may continue. So the Lord says Almighty, my covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many away from sin. When he's describing that little part, he's talking about Aaron, who was the first in the Levite line. The covenant was with the tribe of Levi. Aaron was the first priest that he's describing that really walked in, in honor of that covenant and kept his promises. But as the lineage continued past Aaron, you get to verse seven, for the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty. And people seek instruction from his mouth, but you have turned from the way and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people because you have not followed my ways, but have shown partiality in matters of the law. That's a lot. All right. God's covenant with the leadership in his faith are significant and important. And you're probably sitting there going, whoa, man, Jose's got a lot to live up to as the lead pastor of that church. There's a lot of application there. 
for him. And then those overseers came up here. I don't know if Bob knew what he was signing, signing up for, but I mean, he could get some dung rung, rubbed in the faces of his descendants. I mean, I don't know if he knows put his, what he's putting his grandkids through, the potential there. But as Coach Lee Corso would say on Saturday mornings, not so fast, my friends, because in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, we realize we're all priests. First Peter describes us as the priesthood of the believers. As you come to him, meaning Jesus, the living stone, in this new covenant, Jesus was rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. We also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Man, in the new covenant, when Jesus, when you accept him as your savior, there's so much blessing that comes with that. And in exchange, we covenant to now be his ambassadors here. Now, all of a sudden, we're the priests. Whoa, some of that stuff actually applies to us as well. What would it look like for us to be the kind of priests who do what God needs us to do in this time and age? which means we need to take God's word and we need to be able to apply it in the lives of the people around us who are hurting. We need to intercede for others and take others' hurts to the Lord through prayer and supplication. That's what it looks like to be you know, a priest for the people around you, to be a representative or ambassador God for the people in your area. So let's go back. If that's really the case, I will just pop them on the screen. If this is true, then let's go back and look at a few of these verses. Malachi 2, 5 and 6. Now that this applies to me, I need to read it a little different. So God's covenant is with me, a covenant of life and peace. That sounds great. That's actually what I need. I need more peace, all right, for sure. I don't know how much more life I can take, to be honest with you. Uh, and I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. Now wait, now we have a responsibility. If we want that life and peace in exchange, we have to revere and awe the Lord. We have to put him first in our life and say he's the most important thing. He's more important than how I want to spend my time. He's more important than my marriage. He's more important than my kids. He's more important than my income. I've got to revere and awe him in that way. True instruction needs to be in my mouth and nothing false should be found on my lips. When I speak, it needs to be as though I'm speaking his words and speaking for him. Whether I'm preaching or whether I'm sitting in the coffee shop across from somebody that I care about or whether I'm at the dinner table with my family, what comes out of my mouth should be a representation of Jesus. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turn many from sin. He's describing that's who we want to be. We want to be a people that walk with Jesus in peace and uprightness so that we can be winsome to a world that desperately needs us. But man, if all that's true and we can have life and peace and be winsome and be blessed, we also need to understand that the consequences of not doing that apply to us as well. Like this one in Malachi 2.2, if you do not listen, if we choose not to listen, if we do not resolve to honor God, he will send a curse on us. He will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them because you have not resolved to honor me. Well, that seems really harsh. What kind of God is that? That's a loving father is what that is. If my kids choose to not listen to what I say, and if they choose to not honor the name that we have and we're seeking as a family, the most loving thing in the world that I can do is allow consequences in their life. 
Because if I rob all those consequences, they're going to continue down a path of death and destruction for them. A loving father understands the need to allow consequences. And sometimes that consequence means to remove blessing. I.e., cell phones, cars, social media. I don't want to give you any other parenting tips because I want the kids to be on my side for later on. So, um, ice cream. Yeah. You guys, there are consequences of breaking covenant with God and for false teaching. Most importantly, according to what Malachi was saying, we can cause others to stumble. It's the last thing we want to be. We may fall short of building others up. We may fall short of like, like, you know, growing the kingdom the way we want to. But at the very least, let's not be a people that causes others to stumble. Let's not be the reason they turn their back on God. Let's not be the reason where they look and they go, well, if, those, if, if that's what following God looks like, why would anybody want a part of that? Because, man, we lose credibility, we erode trust, we cause confusion, and we create conflict when we refuse to understand that we're his ambassadors and what we say and what we do and how we look and how we act. And then another consequence, we went over this, is that God could remove his blessing and his favor from our lives, and I don't want that for, for any of you. So the reality is we are his ambassadors, and we need to keep our promises as leaders for him because he keeps his promises to us, and we will have that life, joy, peace that he's so willing and wants to give us. So if that's going on, oh, I should, I should add, conclude with this in this little section. If you're like Jesus, and you could answer that question earlier, yeah, yeah, I've had, I've had people hurt me, break confidences. I've had people turn their back or not follow through. Well, I told you Jesus went through that same thing, right? You know how Jesus responded to that? He, he gave his life up for those people in order to forgive them. So if you've been hurt and you've been wronged, I pray that you could somehow find it in your heart to try to learn, figure out how to forgive uh, those people that have put you in that situation. If we keep going uh, on down into Malachi, so we're still in chapter two, we're all the way down to verse 10. We're gonna switch now and kind of take a look at a different covenant. And this is the marital covenant. So it says, do we not all have one father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign God. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings an offering to the Lord Almighty. Jose went over this a few weeks ago too. Historically, there were kind of two tribes and uh Judah was the one that kind of pulled away from God significantly. And one of the things that really was a pull away moment was when they stopped kind of pursuing God in their marital relationships and they started finding people outside of the faith, which kind of turned the whole culture of the civilization that way. And there's something in that for us, some application, you know, this whole idea of being really selective with who you choose to commit and covenant your entire life to is important. And finding somebody that has a similar faith and has somebody that's moving the same direction as you is important. And if you're a parent out there, it's okay to meddle in your kids' dating lives. Now, if you want a testimony from my kids, they will tell you I meddle way too much. And I hope that's always what they say, because I will over-meddle before I under-meddle all day long. Get involved in that stuff. They're not smart enough to know who they're supposed to be with. 
They're not. They're looking at all the wrong criteria. Man, they're only looking at outward appearance and stuff like that. You got to help them. That's okay. It says it here in the Bible if you really twist the interpretation a little. All right. Verse 13, another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altars with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask why? It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Um, man, the that's a big deal, you guys. This keeping our promises in our marriage is a big deal. What's marriage covenant? When you think of the word covenant, it's different. I don't have a contract with Christina. I don't have a list that says, these are the things I will do as a husband. These are the things you do. We didn't sign a piece of paper and swap it. And uh, if she violates that contract, I can get out or vice versa. We have a covenant together. And a covenant is actually a, a three-way commitment. It's not a contract. It's a three-way commitment. See, I committed to God to love Christina and treat her in a certain way. She committed to God to love and treat me in a certain way, and we committed to each other to be together through the hard stuff and the good stuff. It's a three-way commitment. Now, out of those three ways, which one of those do you think is the most important for me to pay attention to? Well, it's the one between me and God. I need to, I need to get that right and keep that right. You know which one I in practice pay most attention to? The one between me and Christina. Because if I can get her to act different or behave different or treat me better, my life is going to have a lot more joy and peace in it. And I have a PhD in people manipulation, so I get after it, man. I try. <laughs> and guess what? I fail. I fail a lot because it's not my job to manipulate her. And it's, it's actually opposite of what I'm supposed to be doing. Now, I will also tell you, I get involved in that third leg of the thing sometimes, too. I've, I've been guilty of trying to help Christina with her relationship with the Lord plenty of times as well, to which her famous comment to me was, Sean, I know who the Holy Spirit is, and you're not him. And, uh, but I was kind of getting her and the Lord straightened out on what she needed to be doing to have a better relationship with him, and that didn't work either. All right, you and the Lord, if you're married, you and the Lord need to work on your relationship and watch the fruit of the other. That's what Jose was saying last week. We need to be receiving first and doing second. Are you receiving from the Lord so that you can show up as the spouse that you need to be? If you are single out there, what a great challenge for you. Am I spending time with the Lord and getting healthy enough so that I have what it takes to be a good partner for somebody someday? Um, pursue the Lord wholeheartedly. That's what marriage covenant is about. But man, we violate that. We violate that a lot. I, um, man, I fall short in areas. The Bible's clear though. It says that husbands are to live with their wives in an understanding way. That's pretty powerful. What that basically is saying is you should seek to understand your wife way more than you seek to be understood. Um, it says that we're supposed to love our wives to the point of laying down our life for them. I don't even like to lay down an argument. I don't. I don't. That seems really, I'm, I got to win the argument, finish the argument, get through the argument. And God's saying, you should be laying down your life, much less this argument. It doesn't matter. It's got stuff for your wife too. Like she's supposed to, man, she's supposed to love you, but she's also supposed to respect you. And sometimes we may not be respect worthy, but that's what she's supposed to be doing. And it says we're supposed to honor each other. We're supposed to honor the marriage covenant and show honor to each other, elevate each other above everybody else other than the Lord. 
in terms of when we look at our spouse, they're our number one here on earth with flesh on. Honor in that way. It's a lot of responsibility. You got to sacrifice. We're supposed to sacrifice for our spouse. Now, that one's hard because we really like living life like our culture, right? Where as long as it's producing benefit for me, then it's something I need to keep walking toward. But marriage takes sacrifice, and sacrifice means it's going to cost you something. It's not all, it's not like, oh man, I got a few places in my life that just need to be whole and fulfilled. I'm going to find the person that's going to do that for me, and they're going to fulfill me, and I'm going to take from them, and it's going to make me better. That's not what marriage is about. Marriage is about you getting whole, full, and healthy with the Lord, and then sacrificing yourself for the sake of the people around you to bless them. It looks different. Marriage covenant inside the church following Jesus Christ looks different than the world's model out there. It goes on to say a few more verses down where we're 15. Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. Now, I got to give you guys this one. Last count as kids were running through over there, there was about 150 headed to that building. So y'all are killing it on the godly offspring thing. <laughs> Proud of y'all on that one, which means y'all are doing a couple of the other marital things that you should be doing well. I won't dig too deep into those. Why? I mean, why would God do this? Is he just up there wanting to lord over a bunch of rules and stuff, you know, wanting us to just be, you know, a certain way so that we'd look, you know, just like he wants us to look? No, no, he, he wants these things. He wants these covenants. He wants us to be promise keepers like he is because he knows ultimately the blessing that is for us in our life. There was a researcher at the University of Chicago who sought to disprove that marriage was a valuable thing in our culture. And uh, she did a lot of research. Linda Waite was her name. And at the end of her research, unfortunately, her hypothesis was disproven. And it turned out marriage was really, really good. It was a good thing. And a summary of her findings is up on the screen because there's some interesting things on there. Married people live longer, healthier lives. Now, that may surprise some of you because you're like, my wife is going to kill me if she keeps nagging me like she's nagging me. But the research shows you're going to live longer. You're going to make more money. Again, I wonder how that, I mean, you also spend more money. I'll, I can tell you that. That wasn't in the research. That's just personal. Uh, married people have more sex and better sex. That's the research. Your single friends can... can <laughs> <laughs> All right. I don't know. I don't know who that lady was. Married people, now this is not true, uh, I can tell you, are less anxious. Not true, I just feel anxious right now <laughs> a whole lot. Uh, but they are less depressed. Yeah, it's all this stuff on the screen. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, man. Appreciate that. Thank you. All right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Marriage is so good, y'all. It is so good. <laughs> It's better for children. It's better for our culture. It's better for our country. Now, as I say that, it's a big room. 
And I know that there are some of you that have not experienced the joy of marriage and maybe have um, been in a divorce, have felt the impact of divorce somewhere else. And uh, I need to tell you, there is a difference between conviction and condemnation. God is into conviction. God wants us to feel some uh, turmoil sometimes when we're not living up to an internal kind of integrity thing or when we're externally not following some standards that are important. He wants us to feel conviction because if we feel those, we might be willing to put work in and do change. So if you're married and you're feeling a little conviction, like, you know what, I, I could step up my game here. That's, that's God saying, that's all right. That's from him. That's good. I mean, I, when we're doing wrong, we need to feel it. Condemnation is different. Condemnation is a weight of judgment that says you are a failure. You're worthless. You are not worthy because of the sin or the mistakes that you've made in your life. And in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. So as I say this about marriage, I want you to know if you haven't experienced marriage in that same joyful way, there's no condemnation in that. Um, we're for you. Man, there's, we have counselors now in the community here that do a great job helping. If you're in that place where you're hurting because of a, a broken relationship, um, man, there's divorce care support groups in Austin that I know of. So you're welcome to reach out to us and we will get you connected. Um, if you're in a marriage that is not where you want it to be, I've shared before, Christina and I have done marriage intensives to help uh, our marriage in the past. They are real things and they are very helpful. I'm going to show you a little testimonial clip and then we'll wrap up. But these are couples who were in crisis and they sought help. And uh, you'll get to see what it looked like for them to walk through that hard season and honor their marriage covenant. I hated him, basically. I mean, I couldn't stand him. At that point was when in my mind, I started thinking, okay, I, got, I, I can't do this. If I, I would rather live in hell later than now because that's what this feels like. Through this whole period, she had made requests and said, hey, we need help or I need you until she said, you know what? You can work on this marriage. I'm done. You can do what you want. I'm done. That's what got my attention. Everything, it was just constant bickering. And the sad part about it was I knew what I was doing. I just didn't know how to get out of it. We didn't realize at that point that we always just kept going. We just missed each other. Just, we just didn't know how to communicate other than keep going, you do this, I'll do this. And in that fog, just opportunity kind of seemed to present itself and just, you know, boom. He had just found comfort in a co-worker. So going to the Hope Restored place there, it was kind of a tough drive, but because I knew Kelly believed in me, I'd wanted to, to try to get back to that point. We saw it as, as a trip together. So um, I did say, okay, we'll go to this thing, but this is it. If this doesn't work, we're done. Like, we're going to walk away from this. But we got in there, and we had never met people like these counselors. I mean, they just looked in your eyes, and they were sympathetic and compassionate, and they just loved they just loved. The hope that I 
hoped to have and the help that we had hoped that really made it where we felt like this could be attainable. You know, it's not gonna be easy, but that it could be restored. It's that you get the tools to how to stay in or continually fight for what God designed as a husband and a wife to come together in. I learned how unhealthy I was in so many areas, you know, of my life, but mostly with Him. What we have now, it's way more than we ever had before and that I ever even dreamed of in the marriage. If you love this person, you loved him once, you can love him again the same, only better. God is a promise keeper who pursues us, people who break promises, so that he can grant us restoration and redemption. And he longs for that, and he, he, he makes it work in marriages. We've watched this. One of those couples is, went through the marriage intensive 20 plus years ago, and they're uh, doing marriage ministry now and doing amazing things. There's a, there was a recent study that was done that took couples and asked them to rank themselves uh, on satisfaction with their marriage. This has nothing to do with the intensive, just in general in our public, not, not Christians. And they had uh, a very unhappy, quite unhappy, unhappy, neutral, uh, happy, quite happy, very happy. So that was the scale. You rate them. And uh, of all the people who rated themselves very unhappy in their marriage, of all of them, Five years later, only 12% of them were still very unhappy in their marriage, five years later. 70% of those that rated very unhappy five years later were quite happy or very happy. God's always re restoring and redeeming. You just got to persevere sometimes, guys. Find somebody to persevere with you. Get help from one of these places. For the sake of, of your marriage, for the sake of your covenant, for the sake of your word, for the sake of your kids and the witness that you have to the people around you, we believe in marriage and we want to see you succeed there. Um, we believe in you individually and we want you to have a relationship with the God who can do that. We're going to finish up here. There's going to be intercessors in, in the corners. And, and I, here's what I'm going to do. Uh, I, I'm going to pray. Worship team's going to come up. I'm going to get Christina, and, and we're going to go pray, not because our marriage is bad, but because I want my kids to see us seeking prayer for our marriage. And so if you're a man, I, I would love for you to grab your wife's hand and find one of these intercessors. I don't, it doesn't mean your marriage is bad. Maybe it is. Maybe you need them to intercede because it's tough. Maybe it's good, and you need to celebrate that. Maybe you just want to pray together with an intercessor. Maybe you know somebody that needs help, and maybe you're not in a marriage. Maybe you'd long to be. And you got to get prayer for that. Maybe you've been in one and it's been broken. Let us intercede for you this morning as we worship and wrap up. All right, let's pray. Dear Lord, so thankful to be a part of a, of a church and a family and a group uh, that loves you and pursues you and your word. And I'm, I'm so thankful that you are a God who keeps his promises. Lord, you will grant us great things if we will just represent you clearly to this lost world. Lord, you will bless us and show favor. And Lord, you will redeem and restore and refresh our marriages if we put you in the center and revere and awe you and your holy name. So Lord, I pray boldness in all of that. And for the people here who aren't married, who are hurting, Lord, in some way because of broken marriages in the past, I pray for healing for them. 
Lord, you are their completer. You love them. You see them. There is no condemnation. There is acceptance in you and through your son and his death. Help them to feel that warmth and connection. I pray that.